0: Hi, this is Corey Turner, and along with my wife, Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. I want to invite you to go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We're going to read through from verses 1 to 5. And... uh, I want to speak to you tonight on uh, maturing in the prophetic or growing in prophetic maturity. And another way of of, um, titling this is How to Hear God's Voice Clearly and Speak His Word Boldly. Um, And uh, this is something that is dear to my heart. I used to travel the world doing prophetic masterclasses in the body of Christ all over the earth. And very rarely have I actually preached from this pulpit on prophecy and yet it's my jam, if you know what I'm talking about. And so um, let's, let's get into it. And uh, 1 Corinthians 14 verse 1 says this, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. The one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. Uh, my journey into the prophetic started with my mother. My parents were away from the Lord, um, bordering on alcoholics, heavy drinkers, heavy parties. And uh, my mum found out that she was pregnant with me. She stopped drinking, which I'm grateful for. And uh, she uh, got given a Bible from her mother, my grandmother. And one night, in the middle of the night, she was awoken by a voice. We know that was the Holy Spirit now. But at the time, it was such a strong, compelling thing. And the, the voice of the Spirit said, uh, go to the Bible that your mother gave you, open it up and begin to read. And so she got up and opened the Bible uh, to Jeremiah chapter 1, where the call of Jeremiah. And uh, she didn't know the gender of the baby that was in her womb at that time. And the voice returned. The Holy Spirit said, the the boy, the son that's in your womb, is going to grow up to fulfill that calling. Raise him in the church. True story. Three weeks after I was born, uh, my mum walked into the nearest church, didn't know which church from another church, walked into Preston Salvation Army, and surrendered her life to Christ. 3 months later my dad got saved, 12 months later they were in Bible college, 2 years later they were planting their first church, and the rest is history. And so as a teenager, uh, no one ever taught me the mechanics of prophecy or how to move in the power of the spirit, but as a teenager leaders would ask me to pray at various events Because they recognise something within my life. To every leader in this room, I want to encourage you to not just look at people, but look for the calling and the gifting and the redemptive purpose in people's lives. Because as leaders, we're not just here to simply just fill up the numbers and fill up seats. We're actually here to disciple people into their calling and purpose and destiny. And I've developed and grown in my own calling and gifting because someone recognised something in me. And so I began to pray for people, not knowing that I was maybe expressing elements of prophetic ministry, and because i didn't never been taught it, never understood it. And they'd say, um, who have you been speaking to? My mother, my grandmother. How do you know those things? And I'd be like, what on earth are you talking about? I'm just praying as I said and as I feel. When I preached my first sermon, when my will was ultimately broken from running away from God to actually answering the call, it was a move of God. If I could repeat it every time, I would. It was in a conservative church, it was about 100 young adults. And God just showed up sovereignly. Every now and then, God just shows up and says, sit down, take notes, it's me and my time to move. And so it was just like that. And no one had taught me how to move in the gifts or how to prophesy over people, cast out devils. But I just began to flow and go as the Holy Spirit led me and it began to impact people's lives in a profound way. And so for me growing up, prophecy was intuitive and I simply had the ignorance and boldness to open up my mouth and say whatever came out and sometimes it was a hit and sometimes it was a miss The problem is if your gift remains intuitive, not only does it remain underdeveloped, but you can never help anybody else grow in that grace or grow in that gift in their life. And 1 Corinthians 12, 1 says, concerning spiritual gifts, I don't want you to be uninformed. In other words, God's saying through Paul, I don't want you to be ignorant of the gifts of the Spirit of God in your life. Sometimes my ignorance of how to use my MacBook can lead me to abusing it, if you know what I'm talking about. I love what Pastor Wayne said last week, two words that shouldn't be together, Microsoft works. And so, you know, we all know that experience of wanting to pick up a piece of technology because it's not doing what we want it to do and throw it out. It isn't necessarily the problem with technology as it is our ignorance of how it works. The same goes with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit and with prophecy what we're ignorant of we're either afraid of or we can abuse and misuse uh, in a wrong way James Goll, a prophetic author he says for too long the church has been a non-profit organization because of abuse and isolation of the gift of prophecy and I would add and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. What most people do with the uncomfortable, what is interpreted to be unsafe gifts is they shove them under the carpet somewhere and in order to try and be seeker sensitive or more sanitised, thinking that if we remove the gifts we'll be more appealing to customers and more attractive to consumers, failing to realise the Holy Spirit is the most seeker sensitive being and person on the planet. The answer to misuse of the gifts isn't to just shove it away in the weird life group where they do all that crazy stuff, or to shove it under the carpet and try and just put it away from the corporate life of the church. It's to actually use it in such a way where it's properly used, properly taught, properly applied, and properly understood. The problem isn't spiritual gifts. The problem is a lack of maturity in the church as it relates to the application of spiritual gifts. And that comes back to to biblical teaching. The starting point for maturing in the gifts of the Spirit has to do with our motive. Motives matter to God. And love is the preeminent motive for moving in God's power. And that's why the apostle Paul says in verse 1, "Pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts especially that you may prophesy he didn't say pursue spiritual gifts first he said get the motive right pursue love and then prioritize spiritual gifts because one feeds into the other before we earnestly desire spiritual power we've got to be motivated by God's love for people why power without love everybody is unsustainable Power without God's love eventually blows up and hurts people. That's why 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, is sandwiched between 1 Corinthians 12, a discussion on spiritual gifts, and 1 Corinthians 14, a discussion... And a passage of scripture on prophecy and tongues, it's not because God had your wedding in mind or Paul had your wedding in mind to read out the love chapter. Now, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you did have 1 Corinthians 13 read out at your wedding or you want to in the future, that's okay. But it's just because, how many of us know, love is patient, love is kind, love is good, love is gentle, love is all those things but the reason why that's there is because there was a misunderstanding and ignorance and a comparison and a superiority complex when it came to the gifts of the Holy Spirit and what God is doing, He's putting things into their rightful place by saying it begins with love for people. First Corinthians 13.2 says, If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries but have not love, I am nothing. You can move in supernatural power, raise the dead, Cast out devils, but if you don't move in love, if it's not motivated by love, uh, you'll still have the same effect, but it actually won't come through a vessel and a conduit that is actually reflecting and representing the heart of God. Before old Roberts passed away, a great healing evangelist of the 20th century, probably a peer of Billy Graham as it was in the area of healing ministry. Billy Graham was in a soul winning salvation evangelism ministry. Oral Roberts is in the same sort of ballpark and in the last days of his life he gathered a whole bunch of leaders around him to actually, uh, he wanted to impart and say final words, impart his anointing and say final words to these group of leaders before he was to spend eternity in God's presence and And so one of the leaders brought their son, who was in their early 20s, full of enthusiasm, full of passion, and was annoying Oral Roberts in the last days of his life to lay hands on this young kid and impart the gift. The kid probably thought, the guy's about to go, so he's got to lay hands on my head. And so Oral Roberts, finally exasperated, so the story goes, says, son, fall more in love with people and fall more in love with Jesus and your healing ministry will take care of itself. He understood that the key to power is a dynamic, not just being filled with the Holy Spirit, but pursuing love. And the Gospels reveal that what preempted Jesus' power in ministry was love. The Bible says in Matthew 14 14, when Jesus saw the crowd, he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. Before their healing came compassion. It's not about your platform, your title, who notices you, how many followers you've got on social media, how this makes you look, what the perception of others and their admiration of you is or isn't. It's about ministering to people out of the love of Jesus. And one of the chief obstacles to maturing in prophecy is to carry a burden for the Word, but not for the person you're ministering to. Lots of believers love to speak the truth. Didn't we know about that last two years in COVID? But they fail to speak the truth in love. And then they quote Jeremiah 29, there is in my heart a burning fire shut up in my bones and I am weary with holding it in. I just can't hold it in anymore. I've just got to let everybody know the truth of righteousness and what needs to happen And yet 1 Corinthians 14.32 under the New Covenant says the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. Meaning that God gives us a free will and our own volition to be able to partner with the Holy Spirit and discern with the Holy Spirit in wisdom what is best and most appropriate to minister to the person at that point in time. Prophesying isn't about I've got to say something. It's about, do you have anything worth saying? What social media has done has given everyone a platform, a pulpit and a soapbox to say every bit of random musing, let's call it that, and idiocy on the planet. And some things are good and helpful and okay. But the issue is, and I've got to say something, the issue is, do you have anything worth saying that's going to add value to someone's life? that's actually going to help people. Prophecy begins with a burden, yes, but that burden will be misdirected if it isn't both motivated by a purity for the Word and a purity of love for the individual. You know, just funnily, I stopped asking my wife a long time ago in the early years of my ministry, how did I preach today, honey? One, because... I never got the answer that I wanted because I wanted to say oh, amazing it was like if I was doing awesome it was like yeah pretty good pretty good or not bad what, what is that is that good is that what what is that uh you know um uh, you know maybe if it was a shocker and, and maybe once or twice that would have happened um it'd be like room for improvement uh you know and so but, but And I'm exaggerating it a little bit for effect, but what I would say to you is there came a point in the journey where I realised it's not actually about how I perform today. The issue is, was anybody helped? Was anybody served? If it becomes all about your performance and my performance as life group leaders, Preachers, teachers, worship leaders, musicians, serving in the kids' ministry. How did I do today? You've made your ministry about you. That's right. Ministry begins when you make it about them. Yeah. And ministry begins when you get God's heart for people rather than just having a burden with your own heart and your own motives and your own intentions. Ministry begins when it's less about you and more about Him and them. Paul concludes verse 1 by saying, earnestly desire spiritual gifts. Once you get the love thing right, and we've got to keep coming back to that, we've got to keep growing in that, earnestly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially that you may prophesy. Why prophecy? It's because prophecy is unparalleled in its ability to build up the church. The Bible says in verse 4, the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself but the one who prophesies builds up the church. What is Paul doing? He's contrasting speaking in tongues, heavenly language that is given to us when we're baptised in the Holy Spirit. And he's saying, this is a language that builds you up individually, edifies your spirit, it empowers you, it stirs up your gift of faith. That's awesome. But he contrasts it with prophecy because prophecy is what builds others. Tongues, speaking in tongues, is speaking to God. It's uttering mysteries in the Spirit. Prophecy speaks to people revealing mysteries in the Spirit. There's a difference between uttering mysteries in the Spirit, not knowing with your cognitive conscious mind what you're saying, and revealing mysteries in the Spirit to illuminate God's heart to people. The problem with power begins to occur when we elevate individual manifestations over corporate edification. And we make it about our personal experience rather than was anyone edified? Was anyone actually built up? You see, the chaos in Corinth that was happening here is they were comparing their individual gifts to one another and they were wearing their gifts like with a badge of superiority. Well, I speak in tongues and and I do this and I move in this gift and that's better than this one. And the truth is what Paul is trying to teach here is what God manifests in me must edify others through me. Let me say that again. That's Instagrammable, by the way. What God manifests in me is not actually about me or you. But it's to edify others through you. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 affirms this. Since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. So in other words, our individual experience, our manifestation of the Spirit must submit to the greater good because the gifts aren't for personal admiration, they're for corporate edification. The gifts of the Spirit are not for personal admiration, they're for corporate edification. And I think this is really important for immature believers who run at the first sight of their individual gift not being recognised by the church. I just want to say pause before you get your bat and ball and run home, pause and think about that. Your gift is not about you. That's it. My preaching and teaching gift is not about me serving myself to build my platform. The preaching and teaching gift on my life, the prophetic anointing on my life, whatever grace is on your life is about serving others. It's never been about trying to draw a following to us It's been about drawing a following to Jesus and pointing people to Him. So when you get the right priority and you make it about what it really is all about, God has a way of ministering through your life and through your gift into other people's lives and building them up and empowering them and raising them up. And the the ministry begins to serve the purpose for which God gave it. So if you feel that like you're in a place where maybe your gift, prophecy or other gifts are not being recognised right now or not given the platform time, well, welcome to the family. We've all been there, right? And rather than getting all hot under the collar and saying, I'm going to go somewhere else where they recognise my gift, could it be that the reason why you're hidden at the moment is because God's trying to do stuff on your heart rather than through your gift? There comes a season in your life, or should I say, there is often a long season where God is doing more in you than He's doing through you, right. right? And what a lot of younger, immature leaders become sort of disillusioned by, why isn't more happening? Why isn't God opening more doors? Why aren't this? Why aren't that? But even in Jesus' life, there were silent years, there were years where there was absolute silence from age 12 to age 30 before he began his public ministry there's nothing we know about Jesus other than he grew in favour and stature with God and others that's it we don't know anything else because God was doing stuff in Jesus the father was doing stuff in the son that needed to happen to prepare him for his public ministry so what you do is you be faithful with what you have you develop it if you don't have a pulpit yet you feel called to preach are you writing any messages in your bedroom are you preaching them to the pillow are you are, what are you doing seriously I preached in an empty auditorium for two years before anyone was inviting me to go anywhere because if you can't preach to empty seats, you can't preach to full seats. So you and people are, how come you've got that? How come that? Because when you weren't looking, God was, and He saw something in this tre- this treasure in a jar of clay that He said, I can trust, and I can develop, and I can build up. And if we get the heart motive right, and we're in the hidden places, we develop the graces and gifts upon our life. Well, I'm not recognised in my healing ministry. But are you praying for the sick on the street? Are you praying for the sick in the cafe? Are you going and prophesying? You say, well, I want to move in prophecy. Learn to be a good encourager. And as you encourage you, that thing, God, give me more, give me more. And God will give you specifics that will be a blessing into other people's lives. I'm getting blessed just saying this stuff because I didn't plan to say it all. What does prophecy do? Prophecy builds up, stirs up and lifts up. The Bible says in verse three, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding, their encouragement and their consolation. So whatever God reveals according to the New Testament must be filtered through three things. Does it edify? Does it encourage? And does it comfort? Leave direction and correction to the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, but in terms of the, 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 the sort of expression, the normal expression of prophecy and the gift of prophecy, does it edify, does it encourage, does it comfort? Now, when God reveals the secrets of someone's heart, you've got to understand the difference between diagnosis and prognosis. Diagnosis is discerning what the problem is. How many of us know It doesn't take a genius to point out what the problems in our world are. And oftentimes in the prophetic and when it comes to supernatural revelation, we can discern and diagnose what the problem is. The real key is prognosis, what the solution is. It's one thing to reveal the problem It's another thing to reveal God's heart for the solution. Being prophetic is not about waving our fists at a sinful, fallen, broken world and judging them and telling them, you bad people, you, this is your problem. That's not being prophetic. There are aspects of that that is Old Testament, not New Covenant. God is not... Um, against problems coming to the surface because problems are important to deal with because unless we know what we're dealing with, how can we work with the solution? But being prophetic is not about exposing people's problems to show how accurate you are, but illuminating God's heart to show how loving and faithful and just God is. So when I'm ministering to someone and God has shown me that this, young man or young woman has a problem with lust. God will often reveal that, but then get me to speak to purity in that person's life. And you speak to purity and you speak to honour and you speak to a cleansed heart and you speak to all these things. The very opposite of the problem is what God wants me to prophetically bring to that person. When someone that I'd ministered to years ago and this happens unfortunately regularly but what I ministered to was um, the night before God showed me a picture had attempted suicide was engaging in self-harm I was in WA at a church in uh, regional Western Australia and God began to show me and I gently just began to speak into that without raising my voice and not doing it publicly and she began to weep and weep, and she said, How do you know that? I said, Because God's showing me, because He actually wants to know, let you know He loves you, He affirms you, He wants to bring healing into your life now. Here is the solution. Yeah. Wow. When a young adult was feeling rejected by a young man that she set her sights on. When I was a young adult pastor, she was just she was on our team, she was enamored and smitten with this particular young man. In fact, all the girls felt like he was God's will for their lives, you know. And that happens from time to time. I heard the Lord. And so, you know, no, it was just hormones. So, uh, that's okay too. Just be honest. Just be honest. It's okay. God's not again, He gave you hormones. It's all right. Um, just exercise your freedoms responsibly. and And so, um, she comes into my office all upset. She's weeping and crying. And I'm like, oh, you poor possum, you. And, and <laughs> I didn't say that. I was compassionate and sensitive. And, and she came in and he's like, he's with somebody else and he, he's been stolen. And, 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 and as I'm there, I'm saying, okay, God, give me gra- give me patience. <laughs> give me grace, give me wisdom. And immediately I'm asking for God to show his heart for this girl. I see this picture of a wrapped up present and the head of this other male coming out of the wrapped up (laughs) present. Now he had his clothes on. It was all good, right? And the head pops up and I can see this guy's face vividly, specifically detail, beard, this, that, the other. And she was about to jump on a plane to go to America to meet her parents in one of the southern states and the Lord said, I want you to tell her that I've got a surprise waiting for her in America. And she's got her eyes on what she appears to have lost but that person was never hers to begin with. What the real issue is, she's afraid of being lonely for the rest of her life. But I actually have all along got someone for her. Well, unpack that a little bit further. Nine months later, Simone and I attended the wedding reception of her and this dude from Minnesota with a beard, the very face that I saw in the picture, right? And then God began to obviously build that relationship and family, etc. God views everything in our life in its completed form. When you and I have sinned and we've brought that sin to Jesus and we've asked for forgiveness, God does not look at you anymore according to your sin. He looks at you through the cross. He sees you forgiven. He sees you restored. He sees you made whole. He views everything in its completed form And what prophecy does, it catches a glimpse of your completed self as God sees it and calls those those things that are not as if they were. Romans 4 17 and that's why you'll hear a prophecy spoken over someone you know intimately all their issues all their challenges and you're hearing about nations and kings and business and this and all these things and you're going there ain't no way that's of the Lord. I know their issues. I know their problems. I live with them and they've got real issues. I know all their stuff. There's no way. But aren't you glad God doesn't look at you according to your past? He looks at you according to who you're becoming in Him in your future. And He prophesies the Word of the Lord over your life. And He pulls those things from the future into the present. And then He pulls you out of your present situation into the future and you, as you wage a good warfare over the prophecies previously, presently made about you, you will grow into the fullness of the picture that God sees of who you're becoming. What is prophecy? Prophecy is a Spirit-inspired word revealing God's heart, mind and intention. In the Greek, propheteo, it means to foretell events, to speak under divine inspiration. In Hebrew, naba means to speak or sing under divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit. There is such a thing as prophetic worship. There's such a thing as prophetic song. There's such a thing as prophetic preaching, prophetic words, prophetic encouragement. There there is this nature, this spirit-inspired nature where God inspires someone to reveal his thoughts and His his intentions to people. What is prophecy? It's God going public with his thoughts, intentions and desires for someone. It's a manifestation of God's internal processing and His desire to minister to people, Second Peter one twenty one says, "No prophecy was ever produced by the will of men, but they prophesied as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit." Now there is such a thing as soulish prophecy, where you can prophesy out of your mind, emotions, and will, and you can perform some sort of external soulish sort of observation and reading, and you can get in the ballpark, actually. Uh, I know because I've practiced it and and you, you can actually speak quite accurately to things out of your soul through keen observation and some insight. But what it produces in the person is not of the spirit, it actually defiles them and can cause confusion and distraction and actually becomes something that ends up hurting them. No, the prophecies in the Word of God were uh, produced or inspired as people were carried by the Spirit of God. Yeah. One of the things we're trying to do here at Numa in all of the various fivefold expressions and gifts of the Spirit, but particularly prophecy, is to create a safe and healthy environment where we can grow in the prophetic maybe even make some mistakes, not intentionally, but just accidentally as we're learning a language other than English called spirit. And as we begin to grow and navigate in these various graces, we want to create a healthy environment where you're not judged if you get it wrong, but you're discipled to grow in maturity and to get it right. There are two aspects to prophecy. Am I boring you yet? Is this helpful? Two aspects to prophecy, one is to foretell, the other is to forth tell. To foretell is to know the future, to foretell is to cause the future. I ministered uh, if uh, when I was itinerant, 47 weekends a year in a different church, in a different conference, in a different galaxy. And so um, uh, one of the churches I would minister four times a year at was Nations Church and they opened up their platform for me to be a prophetic voice into the life of the church. There was a lot of trust, credibility, and God was doing amazing things. And one of the last times that I was there before COVID, the Holy Spirit was on the front row, and the Lord said to me, I want you to tell them that there is a building around the corner, their main campus, a building around the corner, that I'm about to give to them at a ridiculously cheap price, and I'm going to make a way through for them, they're going to move into it, immediately imminently in the next period of time and so how many of us know you get a word like that in front of thousands of people you better get it right you better know god said right and one of the ways that i've developed confidence in in growing in this grace is for years in my own intimacy with god i learned to hear from god for myself i learned to prophesy over myself and my immediate family Before I opened the door and began to prophesy over others. And one of the things that you need to do to grow in this grace is you need to build a spiritual discipline into your life of intimacy with God every day, where you cultivate history with God through the word and through prayer that familiarizes you to the voice of God. And so I got up. It was something I knew about the future. I declared it. Little did I know, there literally was this huge factory around the corner that eight years before, they had tried to secure, couldn't secure. It was ridiculously overpriced. And uh, they heard the word and they applied it. Funny that a lot of believers put it on the shelf and wait for it to come to pass. No, I'll put tomato sauce and ketchup for the Americans on this word and eat it if you can tell me where it says, put the word on the shelf. It doesn't say it. That's why I'm confident I don't have to eat it. (laughs) It says, test and weigh the word, pray into it. And I understand what we mean by putting some things on the shelf. But what you're better off doing is looking at it and saying, God, what do you want me to do with this? Yeah. Bring it to a leader, a life group leader, a pastor and say, what do you think about this? Yeah. How could we go on the journey with this? What does this mean? And so they applied it. They sent the property manager around to the owner of the property a week later and the price, miraculously, what are the odds, reduced by 3 to $4 million from what it was eight years ago, and the owner wanted to sell. They are in that building today. And it's a beautiful thousand-seat auditorium. God's doing amazing things in that church. Why? Because prophecy foretells, it foreknows what is about to come. Another time I was ministering at a church in uh, regional Victoria, in Horsham, and they had a, a extension service in a place called nil. The reason why it's called nil is because there was nil there. There was nothing, right? And so I'm there, and there's a small group, maybe 30, 40 people. You want to know the key to getting invites to go to places? Start small and go wherever God sends you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I preached to two people in, you know. Back, random outback places, literally two people that I was told, you know, 20 people or 30 people, two people. And I just made a decision. I'm going where you're sending me. Because when you're motivated by love, God will honour that, right? And so I'm there at Nil, and they'd had a drought for two years and the farmers are struggling. The church now, a country church without harvest, struggles to get the tithe in because the farmers and all the people in the community have no resource to be able to supply. And those who are from regional areas, you understand this. And God says to them, tell them that I'm going to pour out rain in the natural in the spring of this year, and it'll be known as the spring rains. Well, you better know you heard from God if you're going to get up and say that, because they're all sitting there dialing all the farmers. Get ready. the, The harvest is coming, right? So guess what? The spring came. And it became known as the spring rains in that region. And the rain, the deluge came. So when I was back there a year later, the place was packed with farmers, right? (laughs) Because they're like, what's the word of the Lord for the next year? And the Lord said, prophesy it again. And so I said, it's going to come again. And it came again. And I haven't been back. So I don't know what's happened since. But all I'm saying to you is there is one aspect where you foretell There is another aspect where you foretell and the Word actually causes things to take place. Prophecy consists of three basic elements. One is revelation. Two is interpretation. And three is application. And this applies to you hearing God's voice in your own life as well. How many of us know the primary means of revelation in our life is the Word of God? The best place to begin to understand and hear God's Word is get a word life. Read your Bible. Get a highlighter. Get a pen. Get an old school Bible. And and read and highlight and date when God speaks to you. Journal. Get it into your spirit. Because no prophecy will ever contradict the Word of God, the Logos Word in your life. And so you can apply these three principles. Firstly, there's revelation. That is, what is God actually saying? How many of us know God's first language is not Australian? It's not American, it's not French, it's not German, it's spirit. And how many of us have tried to learn a language other than our native tongue? Most of us. And when you're learning a language other than your native tongue, you make mistakes. So why are you beating yourself up if you get it wrong when you're learning the language of the spirit? You're learning a language other than your native tongue. And there's a journey. There's a skill to this. There's, a, there's a, a way of interpreting the revelation that you're receiving. God doesn't speak in your native tongue. He speaks through visions and dreams. He speaks through burdens and impressions. Yeah. He speaks through pictures and all sorts of different body checks and all sorts of things. And so we've got to learn what the Spirit of God is yeah. communicating and saying to us. And so I heard a funny story one time where a husband, uh, it's not a true story, but a husband was uh, in his garage and uh, he's praying to the Lord and God puts a burden on him and uh, he goes in from his garage to his wife in the lounge room and says you know God's just been the Holy Spirit's been weighing on me conviction the last 30 minutes that honey we've got to get rid of the garage and she's like that's bizarre I know but we've just got to get rid of the garage he's got to we saying you've got to clean up the garage you've got to get rid of the garage and, and they're trying to navigate what does this mean and God is up in heaven he gathers the angels around he says I love this guy so much for the 30 minutes, I've been telling him to get rid of his grudge towards his wife, but he's been there thinking I'm telling him to get rid of his garage. And so sometimes you and I hear grudge when or garage when God is actually saying, Get rid of that offense toward that person. Have you ever had someone come up to you and say, You know what? I think this church and you ought to be more friendly. Was that just me? <laughs> Not in this church, but in another church. I had to do come up. And I'm like, hmm, interesting. I'm a people person. I love people. And I'm prepared to receive that feedback, take it to prayer, and grow where I need to grow. I actually think God might be speaking to you. <laughs> <Come on now. laughs> so many of us hear things for others. Oh, I wish they were here to hear that. Oh, I wish they could. And the Lord's like, ba ba ba. I'm speaking to you right? And we hear garage and God, and God doesn't beat you up. God actually loves you and He's just happy that you are willing to have a crack and that you're willing to step out and say, God, would you use me? Would you speak through me? The second thing is interpretation. That is, what does it mean? Is it literal? If you receive a word tonight about planes, trains and automobiles and work and study, don't tomorrow, hand in your resignation, buy the ticket, jump on a plane to Ukraine, and just decide that that is what you're going, to. probably not wise. right? Yeah. What you need to do, the more specific, literal and directive it is, is you need to process it with oversight and you need to get accountability, and you need to pray into it, and you need to deliberate over it. The less specific and the more general, the more you could probably act on that and, and work with that, but you need to interpret. What is God actually saying? Because objects have certain meanings and all sorts of things. Vehicle is a picture of ministry. Seatbelt is an issue of security in your identity in Christ. If you see a uniform, it represents authority. There are different things that represent uh, meanings in the Spirit that you've actually got to grow in a knowledge of if you're going to accurately interpret the Word. And then there's application, and that is what should we do now? What is different from New Covenant to Old Covenant is that prophecy under the New Covenant is not an automatic outcome. It's conditional upon your obedience and your faithfulness. You've got to get into the slipstream of that word. You've got to exercise some wisdom, you've got to pray into it, you've got to get oversight speaking into it, particularly the more directive and specific that it, that it actually is. And so this is what I've discovered. Most of the problems that's associated with hearing God's voice and applying God's voice, hearing and speaking, or as it applies to prophecy, is the is zealous believers approaching New Covenant prophecy with an Old Covenant mindset. Let me say this again, stay with me. It's when zealous believers, right intentions in their heart, but they approach New Testament expressions of prophecy with an Old Covenant fire and brimstone mentality. In the natural, a river has a bank to it. Because without the bank, the river floods and causes damage. In the supernatural, prophecy is like a river. The Bible says out of your spirit will flow rivers of living water. Prophecy is like a river, but without accountability, without banks to the river, the prophetic can spill over and cause damage in people's lives. In the Old Testament, if a prophecy was false, uh, it was really simple. We just take you out the back and stone you, if you know what I'm talking about, right? The Old Testament would judge the false prophets severely. They literally in the law would get stoned to death. You say, that's rather harsh. How could a loving God do such a thing? Oh, no, hang on a sec. You need to understand something. People were spiritually dead in sin. The Holy Spirit had not been poured out on all flesh. The Holy Spirit only came at Pentecost, poured out upon all flesh. In the Old Covenant, the Holy Spirit only came upon select people, prophets, priests and kings, according to the sovereign will of God. So there was no Holy Spirit anointing to filter the Word outside of the law. So the only way that you could judge whether it was right or not is if it came to pass or not straight away because the nature of prophecy in the old testament is judgment according to the law the nature of prophecy in the new covenant is grace because mercy triumphs over judgment it's the gospel of jesus christ and so we can't apply aren't you glad we can't apply deuteronomy 18:20 stone the false prophet to new covenant prophecy we can't do that why Because of 1 John 2.27, the anointing that abides in every believer gives witness to the truth of the word that we've received. In the New Testament, the receiver of prophecy, please hear me, we're nearly done. It's about to turn into a a zoo and a circus. But in the New Testament, every believer, every receiver has a responsibility as much as the deliverer of the Word. It's not just about the dude balancing the ball on his nose and everyone going, wow. It's about every single believer growing and stewarding in this grace of prophecy, hearing the voice of God, knowing it will never contradict the Word, but also according to the anointing of the Spirit that lives inside of us, stewarding that Word to hear, pray and test the Word and to see if it actually points us or brings Jesus into focus. Revelation 19.10 says this, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So at the end of the day, does the fruit of the person's life and ministry that's given the Word bring Jesus into focus? Does it want me to want to hang out more with Jesus? Does it cause me to desire intimacy with Him and to worship Him? Or does it have me just impressed with a particular person's gift? You know, the great good news of the Gospel, the good news of New Testament church is that every single believer in this room is invited to learn how to prophesy. You can grow in prophecy. And we have an incredible prophetic team, leader, ministry, pillar, here in the life of the church where you can learn, glean, lean in and develop and go deeper than ever before. Not just hearing a message one time and saying, I've worked it all out, but saying, you know what, let this be something that stirs your appetite to go deeper and to learn more. I think too many of us, please listen to this, too many of us believe the lie, we have to be better Christians before we can access God's power. You need to hear a balance of this increased prophetic revelation is not an award for being a good Christian. It's not an award for good behaviour or the market share of holy people. Because some of you think, I've just got to be better and I've just got to try harder. And if I do, I will move in power and I will be the master of the universe. No, no. Honestly, I want to be holy because I love Jesus. Not because I'm going to earn something. Because if you want to be holy to earn something from God, you've turned your relationship with God into law and works. You've gone back to the old covenant. And as Paul said to the Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who taught you this false gospel? Why are you still trying to earn your way in the kingdom through your efforts and works? No, Our works flow out of faith, not because we're trying to earn something, but because we've had a transformed encounter with Jesus and we love Him and we honour Him. We're being more sanctified to be like Jesus. I want to be holy because He said, be holy as I am holy. I want to grow in holiness, kindness, gentleness, self-control, the forgotten fruit of the Spirit in our generation. I want to grow in all the fruits of the Spirit because I love Him, not because I'm going to earn something from Him. I've seen some of the most wicked people move in the most greatest demonstrations of power. Do one thing on the platform and behind the scenes do something else. God uses all of us in spite of us. And His power is accessed by sovereign grace and our faith. But let's complement His grace and faith with an integrity of character that represents and witnesses to the reality of the Spirit of God that dwells inside of us. Moving in power with maturity begins with asking God to show you His heart for people. One of the things I love is, uh, in my own family is my amazing and incredible youngest son, Joshua. He just has childlike faith. You'll come up to me and say, Dad, in a prayer meeting or somewhere, or to Stace or whoever, to Sim, come up and say, Hey, Dad, God showed me something. Can I share something? And I'm like, unless you become like a little child and have faith like a little child, not only can you not enter the kingdom of God, you can't access it. But when you humbly come to God and say, God, this is what your word says, this is what you teach. Now help me grow in this, God says, here you go. I want to give something to you that's going to bless someone's life. Why don't you stand to your feet? Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God.